Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this special episode of Bijou Banter. We are not in the Care UI studio this week. We are on Zoom. And joining us on Zoom, we have our usual hosts of Orson Cod. Hello. Daniel Mergergerhoyer. Welcome, everybody. And for the first time on Bijou Banter this year, we have guests. Finally, we've been wanting to do this for a very long time. And with amongst our guests, we have Gigi Bell, Dana Woolery. Oh, you do, fellow, fellow kids. <laughs> and Chris Sozman. Hey, what's up? And today on Bijou Banter, we are going to be talking about our 10 favorite movies of 2021. Uh, it is, what, what's the date today? It is Friday, January 21st of 2022. So it's been about a month for all these re- releases to come up, catch up on films from 2021, which was a much better year compared to 2020. We've actually got some good theatrical releases coming up this year. So uh, enough delaying, let's just get right into it. So we're going to go from number 10 down to number one, and we will be starting off with Chris. What is your 10th favorite film of the year? All right. Uh, my 10th favorite film of the year uh, was Sean Baker's Red Rocket. Mm. Uh, I just found it a really, really interesting performance from Simon Rex, who I would also recommend reading any profile or interview with him because he's just, his life almost kind of parallels the character, not quite, but just kind of a weird grifter who's been out in all different sorts of media. And I just think it's Sean Baker's best film and uh, is definitely worth checking out. I recommend it. Yeah, Red Rocket was definitely an interesting one. It was by, well, you said Sean Baker, who also is best known for The Florida Project and Tangerine. Interesting character study. I'd I'd have to agree myself. Uh, Gigi, what was your 10th favorite? Uh, My 10th favorite film of the year was F9 which is the ninth installment of the Fast and Furious franchise, if you're not familiar. Um, First of all, I think it's one of the best films of the franchise by far. They really kicked it up a notch when they sent the car into space. And I just think it's really fun. That's all there is to it. It was really fun to see in theaters. It was really fun because I've been watching all the other ones up until that point. It was just a good experience. I enjoyed it. Good family film. You get to see Vin Diesel fly a car, or I, who flew the car into space? I don't even remember. Roman. Um, yeah, Roman. Roman got to fly the car yeah. into space. Very cool. Yeah, I can't wait for Fast Ten when they go uh, crossover with the Jurassic World universe. Oh boy. <laughs> and Dana, what is your tenth favorite film? Uh, can I first just say with a caveat, I. Uh, I have not seen all the films I want to see yet, so this may be subjective to change in like a couple weeks when I see like Flea, Red Rocket and stuff. But currently, um, I guess I, I, I've kind of struggled with 10 and 9 and 10, but I guess I made my 10th slot of uh, Suicide Squad. I think just mainly because of how like fun and like refreshing it kind of felt to like the whole superhero genre. I really liked, you could tell James Gunn was kind of like having fun fun and getting to be himself and it was very much like the first like like sent like aside from the guardians of the galaxy movies these are like james gunn is like one of the few superhero directors who really has like an auteur's touch if you know what i mean like every time you see he's like the only filmmaker i like who makes superhero movies that i see like okay this is like a director's vision which you don't see too often and suicide squad was a great example of that yeah excellent definitely one of one of the few sequels that is much better than the previous one we previously talked about that 
talked about Suicide Squad on a respective banter episode. If you want to hear Orson and Daniel check talk about that, check that out if you would like to. And speaking of Orson, Orson, what is your 10th favorite film of 2021? So we actually talked about this, I think like a month and a half ago, but Army of Thieves. And I know, you know, we've had long <laughs> discussions about Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead universe, but I'm just a huge zombie fan. It's like my favorite kind of genre of movie. And while this isn't, you know, a zombie, zombies aren't in the forefront. I thought this was just kind of a fun spinoff. It doesn't reinvent the, the heist genre. It's very cutesy. It's a very fun, disposable movie. And I just, I had a good time watching it. And it was kind of nice to see this. Uh, the lore of this world expand a little bit more. So I'd say Army of Thieves is my number 10. Excellent. Daniel. So number 10 um, is probably from one of my most favorite directors. Um, and, you know, it's kind of nice to see this guy's name pop up and up again in the last four years. And that is Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. Although there are some definitely has some issues in terms of the age gap and um, some ethnic jokes. I really enjoyed this movie. I really liked the way it was shot. Um, I know, Matthew, you had the benefit of seeing it on 70 millimeter, which I'm kind of jealous that you did. Um, I really liked the casting um, and I really liked the whole atmosphere really it kind of felt like PTA's version of American Graffiti. And it's just a really fun time to watch it. And I'm glad to say that this was my number 10. Excellent. And my number 10 is Come On, Come On, which was written and directed by Mike Mills, stars Walking Phoenix. He's a radio journalist who goes on a cross-country trip with his nephew and it's an exploration of child psychology and grown-up psychology done in a way that doesn't feel uh, melodramatic or pretentious. Everything feels very genuine. And Mills does a very good job with that, with his films like Beginners and 20th Century Women, crafting characters that feel very authentic and also very relatable and human. It feels like it's interesting how it's about documentary filmmakers and seeing the characters interview children and also how it's more sort of intimately shot. It feels very much like we're looking into the lives of these people, even though they are fictional characters. And Walking Phoenix is the first time he's played like just a regular dude in a long time. And it's great to see him do that. And also Woody Norman, who plays the kid in his first film is honestly amazing. He's one of the best child actors working today. And Come On, Come On is, it, it was a very, it's a very sad film at times, but also it's a very uplifting film. I really, really loved it. Good choice. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so moving on to number nine, Chris. All right. Uh, my number nine is The French Dispatch. Uh, probably one of like middle tier Wes Anderson for me, but I thought it was a big improvement from Isle of Dogs. So, some of the segments I thought hit better than others. I think Jeffrey Wright should be nominated for an Oscar. And I overall, I think it's just one of his funniest films. And uh, I definitely remember watching it. And I think it could move up a little higher on my list once I do. Nice. We'll have to see good old Wes pop up in our top 10 list. Uh, Gigi. Um, my number nine is In the Heights. Um, I think I usually expect to be like disappointed with musical adaptations in the film a lot of them are really bad. Some of them are only kind of bad. This one was pretty good. I have a few like minor nitpicks with some of the choices they made, but overall really fun, really nice, really nice little summery vibe. 
Yeah, I, I also really loved In the Heights, too. We also talked about that on a banter episode. Check that out if you would like to. Dana, what is your number nine? Uh, let me just comment and say on In the Heights. Yeah, that's a really good um, film as well. And it's been interesting how this is like a big year for musicals with how many musicals have been made this year. Um, anyway, yeah. my number nine, uh, I kinda, as I guess The Green Knight, um, it's a very... I just, I don't know. I just love the filmmaking of it and like the, it was like the first movie of 2021, right? 2021 that, that I really like really enjoyed and like, like, wow, this is actually like a really good movie and not just like, and, I, and I'm so happy it was actually did well at the box office. Cause it, and it, it kind of confuses me how like a movie, this small of a budget, like it, it kind of presents like small budget movies can still be, you know, made and get, profit which i really appreciated yeah excellent excellent fantasy film from david lowry another underrated director uh orson uh my number nine is a quiet place part two i remember right before the pandemic started i was living in the dorms and they had arranged for us to go see this and like three days and then the pandemic hit and the movie got pushed back for like a year and a half or something so it was finally nice to get to see it in theaters at films you know at the chauncey uh earlier last year and it was one of those movies i saw with my girlfriend and she's not really big into horror movies but we both just had a fun time and we're like talking about it constantly after we saw it it's great suspense and it kind of you know horror movies sometimes with sequels they're usually not as good as the first but i'd argue this one's actually pretty good it it might it's not better than the first but i think it's on like the same level so i really enjoyed it i'd argue that it's better than the first one but that is a conversation for another time, uh, Daniel, what is your number nine? Number nine is is also another musical. Unfortunately, it's not in the Heights, which also was a really good musical, which unfortunately did not pan well at the box office. But this this one is Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Um, this is a film I actually saw a couple of days ago, and I was very impressed by it. I love it. I love Steven Spielberg. Um, I do know that he did not have a really good decade in the 2010s. I mean, I wouldn't have to say his best film since before this was uh, Lincoln, um, which I also love. But I feel like this is probably where Spielberg's back to form. It's surprising that he hasn't directed a musical because he just has a style that fits in with so many musicals. I really liked the way the film was shot. I liked all the musical numbers. I liked all the bold changes and ideas. Rachel Zegler probably has the best performance this year, in my opinion, um, as Maria. And I also like Ariana DeBose um, as Anita. I mean, it was just a really fun time in the theaters and it did really tug at my heartstrings a bit near the end. But yeah, I really enjoyed West Side Story. Awesome. My number nine, going from independent to mainstream, was Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, I'm a massive Spider-Man fan. Uh, This is one of my most anticipated of the year. I saw opening night, and that opening night experience is perhaps the best opening night experience I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, For the ultimate reveal, which for those that have not seen it, I'm not going to spoil it, but you've probably seen the memes. You've probably seen the TikToks. It is quite an event movie, but... More so than that, I think within the MCU Spider-Man films, it has the best understanding of its character, it has the best action sequences, and it has the best emotional moments. It combines all those elements of sort of an event-type movie, but also makes it stand out from the other MCU, not only MCU Spider-Man movies, but just MCU movies as a whole. I think it's one of the best entries in the entire 27-film saga, period, and it is 
it's not my it's not the best spider-man movie nor is it my favorite but it's the most entertaining and still the most satisfying like i will remember that opening that experience until the day i die it is quite something and is an easy spot for number nine i have to uh, yeah that was a really great film and like that your spider-man and also a quiet place too like nearly i think almost probably would have made my list um those are really good picks um both of yours thank, thank you all right number eight chris all right number eight uh continuing the superhero theme uh, i'm going with james gunn uh i think he just seems to really understand how to use pro wrestlers in film. And I think no one else does. Uh, I don't think it's quite as good of a performance as Drax, but John Cena as Peacemaker is fantastic. Probably my favorite part of the movie. There's also a great series out now that James Gunn directed most of. And I think it's one of the most fun movies of the year. And it's, it's, I definitely recommend it. Not to deviate too far from the discussion, but quick thought about Peacemaker best opening title sequence of any TV show ever. It is incredible. Please check it out on YouTube if you would like to. Gigi, what is your number eight? Uh, pivoting a little bit, um, my number eight is Titan, Palm d'Or recipient. Um, I think it has the honor of being the film that surprised me the most on my top 10, mostly just because I really could not predict anywhere it was going at all while I was watching it. I It stressed me out a little bit, but it also kept me really entertained. And I really do think that it's one of the more unique films that came out this year. And I would really recommend it if you would like. Absolutely. Another shameless banter plug. Uh, Orson Daniel and I talked about Titan alongside Venom 2. And check that out if you'd like to hear more of our thoughts on that, if you would like to. Dana, what is your number eight? Uh, you know, I, I surprisingly also Titan. Um, I, this is one of those movies that like, at first I saw it, I was like, yeah, it's okay. But it's one of those movies I feel like the more that you think about it, it kind of like gets better and better. And then it's rare when a movie like you can rem like imagery is like a, since it's so important to film, like it's a rare there's a movie where imagery just sticks with you. And it's one of those movies where I constantly just think about the imagery. And it's like over time, I've grown to appreciate it a lot. Um, I don't think the same can be said for Venom 2, but um <laughs> You know, yeah, Orson might disagree with you with that statement. It's, right it's there. an okay thought. It's an okay. Thought. <laughs> uh, yeah, Titan, great. Uh, Orson. Yeah, one movie that I think this is kind of just a kind of a tie between uh my last film and what this one is about to be. But the reason why nobody is above a Quiet Place Part Two is because I didn't expect a lot from it. I kind of watched it like you know i saw the trailers and i was like oh, okay it's made by the same people that made john wick it's just going to be kind of you know that same kind of action movie it's really not though because john wick that series is great but like keanu reeves you know it's keanu reeves whereas you look at bob odenkirk he's kind of the short stocky guy and you're like how is that going to work how is he like an action hero but he's playing kind of a normal middle-aged dad and they play it up really well and what i liked about this the most is that they show that he gets damaged like some of the fight scenes where he's like getting you know hit and stuff it's pretty crazy and yeah the movie again it's a very fun disposable movie it's pretty short too and christopher lloyd is great kind of you know is acting crazy and i would recommend checking it out it's a very fun time if you'd like 
forgot that came out this year. When did that come out? If you that came out in April, so it was kind of one of the first 2021 movies that came out. I think it was kind of buried under Godzilla versus Kong because it kind of came out right around the same time. Hmm. This very popular popular VOD, I believe. Um, Yeah. Oh, oh, it went straight to VOD. Uh, Yeah, I think so. Okay, I have to check that out. Daniel, what is your number eight? My number eight is also from a very um, famous director whose style is probably a, like very popular, and that is Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Um, this is a film that I really like all the vignettes and the stories that are being told. Of course, it has a very typical Wes Anderson look to it, which I think it's probably one of his best looking, in my opinion, next to Grand Budapest. Um, and I really enjoy the cast. I think my favorite has to be um, Samuel Wright um, in this film. And there's just, there's like so many good things about it. And I also like the message about journalism and its importance, especially coming from a news organization such as the Daily Island. I think it really hits the nail on the head when it just talks about why we need journalism and why these stories matter. So yeah, this was a really fun movie to watch. Nice. My number eight is West Side Story, uh, Steven Spielberg's take on the classic 1961 musical, modern day, modern day in quote, Romeo and Juliet. Um, I respect West Side Story, the original, but I never loved it like many other people did. But uh, Spielberg's remake is, in my opinion, superior in basically every way possible. It not only gives the story a lot more of a grittier and down-to-earth angle and tone, but it makes the protagonist a lot more interesting. The choreography is improved. And most importantly, it is visually one of the best looking movies I've ever seen. It is gorgeous. Every single shot is like something I would hang on my wall. And there's some shots where it's literally just like, how did they do that with the shadows, the lighting, and just the whole blocking of everything. It's one of the ultimate movie musicals. And in a year where we've had amazing movie musicals, this is by far my favorite. Uh, Rachel Zegler, who plays Maria in her debut performance, is incredible, and her presence and singing capabilities do not come from that of someone who is in her screen debut, but rather gives the impression that she's been very, um, I guess, she's been very dedicated, and also you've seen, it seems like she's been on stage and screen for years and years. You would not think this was a film debut. So yeah, absolutely loved West Side Story, uh, my favorite movie musical of the year. Moving on to number seven. Chris, what was your number seven? All right, uh, my number seven uh, was The Beta Test. Uh, it's an independent movie uh, written, directed, and uh, starring Jim Cummings, who's probably most known for his movie, uh, Thunder Road. And this is a dark comedy satire about Hollywood agents. He actually got dropped by his own agency for putting out this movie. <laughs> <laughs> really? And, but I think he just seems to have like a great tone for dark comedy. And it's just a very funny and surprising movie that I think everyone should check out. Yeah, I've, I've never seen a film from Jim Cummings, but I've heard a lot about him. So he's Winnie the Pooh. No, no, not that what? Jim Cummings. Not that Jim Cummings. He has the same name. Oh, uh, <laughs> there's yeah. two Jim Cummings. I know. By the way, yeah, beta beta test is one I've also on like a one I'd like to maybe get around to seeing hopefully before they so. <laughs> Interesting. I'll have to check that out too. Uh, Gigi, what is your number seven? 
Um, bringing things back around to whatever this is, um, the Matrix Resurrections, not revolutions. That's a mistake I've made a few times. But I actually was, I liked it a lot more than I thought it would. Um, I thought it seemed like a really stupid idea. I was like, come on, we're, we're done with these. And the other two sequels weren't even that good. But I actually really liked this. I thought it was kind of, it made some smart commentary about like the way that the Matrix is watched and discussed like in the present day. Um, maybe it was a little too self-aware at some points. There were times where I was like, this is getting a little cheesy, but in a good way, which The Matrix has always been. Um, they, I don't know, it's funny. They called um, Trinity a MILF, um, <laughs> which I do all the time. And it was nice to see them do that in the film itself. So yeah, check out The Matrix Resurrections if you would like. Even if you haven't seen the sequels, I don't think they're necessary. Oh, they're not necessary. They're not ne okay, because I've heard you had to see the sequels. I've heard I've heard very conflicting things. People either love this movie or hate it. So yeah, I've only seen the first one. So maybe I've I will heard check it, it out. I've heard it compared to like Gremlins 2 or uh Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Like and that to me, I've never seen the Matrix movies, but if I I I'd imagine I'd really like it if it's like those, you know. Dana, what's your number seven? Um, I'm gonna go with maybe Bell because it was probably you know it's a fairly incredibly original take on the Beauty and the Beast storyline that I did not see coming. The animation was gorgeous. There's a lot of great humor and heart to it. It, um, it honestly it was a very underrated film of the year so far, even though it's just released. Um, I'm hoping it could maybe get an animated feature nomination, though I don't know what it would they would cut to make it. Maybe Raya, but. I think this is a very uh, great uh, film from a classic uh, director of Japanese animation. Uh, I'd recommend it if you'd like to see it, if you're interested in those kind of films, and if you'd like to, you know? Yeah. Uh, Bell is currently playing at Film Scene at the Chauncey as of when we're recording this. As Daniel said, not Daniel, Dana, sorry. As Dana said, check it out if you would like to. What is your number seven, Orson? I... I was excited for this movie, but there was one factor against it. And I still think it doesn't work in this movie's favor, but the movie itself is pretty good. Dune. I, they, I feel like they should have done it back to back with whatever the second one is going to be because it is. it feels very isolated. Like you feel like there should be more to the story. It's a lot of setup, but it's, I mean, I feel like we don't give Denny Villeneuve a lot of credit. I think he's the best director working today. In my opinion, he's this generation's Kubrick. And, you know, maybe Christopher Nolan too, but I'd say more. Um, Denny Villeneuve. I, Dune is just crazy. Incredible performances, crazy cast, great action. I hope it gets best cinematography at the Oscars because I think it deserves it. Yeah, we spent an entire hour talking about Dune Part One in an episode that we didn't. I didn't think we were going to talk about that for the whole episode, but we ended up doing it. Uh, check it out on the Bijou website if you would like to. Daniel. Number seven is a Netflix, a film that is on Netflix and is brought to you by the creator of Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and that is Tick, Tick, Boom. This is a great character study on acclaimed playwright Jonathan Larson as he's trying to get himself on Broadway. 
um, and be successful. Um, and this was just a really good movie with a very inspiring message. I do like all the cameos that were sprinkled in from classic Broadway actors. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Bernadette Peters in anything, and she is just a great Broadway actress. Um, and I think this is Andrew Garfield's career best performance. I mean, he just like took this role and just ran with it. He, you really see a young Jonathan Larson in this film. And I highly recommend to see this if you'd like to. All right. My number seven is Spencer, a, the fictionalized biographical recount of Princess Diana. It is a very haunting film that takes a lot of liberties, but also isn't afraid to show the really sort of dark psychological effects of the royal family and like the subject matter I'm I am in no way an expert on royalty or anything like that I don't know anything about it nor did I know much about Diana and even though this is a fictional uh, account of that it is incredibly interesting and incredibly daring at times too with incredible cinematography Johnny Greenwood does the score and it should be nominated for an Oscar and Kristen Stewart as Diana gave my personal favorite performance of last year, she pretty much transforms into the role. And it's one of those performances where it's like, when you look at, when you look at her, you don't see the actor or actress, you see the character or the real life person It is that strong of a performance. And it's one of those, it's very slow. And, and maybe for some people it could be off-putting, especially if you go in expecting it to be like the crown or Downton Abbey, but it's not like that at all. If anything, it psychologically dissects that sort of royal period piece style film and i absolutely loved it excellent movie moving on to number six chris what, what was your number six all right uh my number six was pig uh starring nick cage i went in thinking that it was going to be john wick with truffle pigs and it is completely not that and i think casting nick cage kind of plays he's playing against type because he's no normally so you know animated and, and borderline like I don't know, over the top parodying himself almost in every film. And in this, it's it's a very quiet performance. And I think it's a very underrated performance that should be nominated, but probably will not. And it's just one of those films where you kind of leave emotionally wrecked, but in a good way. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that in theaters and leaving the theater, I was just like, I'm reflecting on my life right now. It was one of those movies. Very, very good movie. Uh, Gigi. All right, so my number six is an anime film called Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop. The director worked on Your Lie in April. And as far as I know, nobody's heard of this except for me and my friends. So I definitely recommend you check it out if you would like. It's on Netflix. And it's just really like cutesy and vibey and summery. There's like next to no stakes at all in the story. It's just all of these like teens sort of just having a nice little time in summer in their little small town. It's kind of Ghibli-esque, but not entirely Ghibli. It's kind of like Ghibli in like the modern era. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, but I really liked it. I think it's super cute. And yeah, that's that. What's it streaming on? I've never, I've, I've never heard of it. Um, it's on Netflix. I think it's actually like a Netflix original. I think they got the 
distribution rates. Hmm. Interesting. Dana, what is your number six? Um, I'm going to go with um, the harder they fall. Uh, this is a I went in I went in not expecting much. And what I got was a very like kind of a movie that I didn't really knew I needed. It's kind of like an old fashioned Hollywood kind of spaghetti Western. And it just it had that old fashioned Hollywood of like a spaghetti Western aesthetic and style. It's very incredibly well shot, um, very well directed. Uh, the ensemble is amazing. Uh, this is a very much a great, very much a great Western in a year when I feel like we're kind of having a Western revivals, which is kind of interesting and cool. Um, I highly recommend it if you would like to. It's on Netflix and it is very good. It's interesting. That's another one of those films like Matrix 4 where I've heard people either really love it or they really hate it because like my dad really didn't like it and my mom loved it. It's and other people feel that way too. It's interesting. I've no great song by Kid Cudi in the film. Listen to that if you'd like to. I have to check that out now. Kid Cudi does a song in a Western movie. That sounds that sounds interesting. All right, I'll put that on my watch list. Uh, Orson. I think I'm about to give Matthew a bit of an aneurysm, <laughs> but I oh, really like this movie uh, because just how much of the director's vision it clearly is. Let, uh, let me take it. Can I take a guess? Malignant. Oh, I, I was going to say Army of the Dead, but okay. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, Malignant. I I truly don't know how to like describe this film because the first half is so different from the second half. It, it goes off the walls in the third act. Like, it's crazy when certain things are revealed about like what's going on. And again, kind of what I said, it's clearly a James Wan's like vision, like the studio, probably because he made them a movie that was the highest grossing DC movie. Uh, you know, they wanted to give it to him. And I think people should check it out. If they'd like to just to, you know, support someone's vision without studio tampering. We talked about this movie in depth on Bijou Banter in a previous episode. Check that out if you would like to. Uh, I agree. It is very, very, um, you could tell that he did a, it was his vision and it goes completely off the rails at the end, but you got to sit through a lot of boring stuff. At least that's my hot take. Uh, Daniel. My number six is also like Chris's. It's Pig. Um, This is starring Nick Cage and, I think the less I talk about this film, the better. This is just a film that really subverts your expectations in every way. And it, it surprised me um, because, you know, like everybody else, I thought this was going to be like John Wick, except Nicolas Cage is going to go chasing after a pig. But it isn't. And I was surprised on how poignant it was. I, it really like dwelled on me after I went to theater and like just the whole how the whole thing was made and it really takes its time I really like these type of slow burn films and yeah pig was my number six and it's truly an underrated classic from this year very much agree um my number six was the French Dispatch which was also my most anticipated film of 2021 Wes Anderson is my favorite working director. And so I was very excited for this movie and it it's not anywhere near being my favorite Wes Anderson film, but just because, just because all his films, in my opinion, are so strong, even something as great as this is mid tier Wes. It is an exploration of journalism and also just shows the importance of it while exploring not only the incredible stories, but the incredible storytellers behind 
behind them. And it's told in three vignettes with each story being incredibly interesting and engaging with really uh, quirky characters and a really great soundtrack that we come to know from Wes. Visually is one of the best looking movies of the year and it also happens to be one of Wes Anderson's best looking films in general. It combines so many things from like miniatures, uh, minimalist sets, black and white cinematography, even animation in some sections too. It is a feast of Wes Anderson aesthetic and style. Um, I absolutely loved it. There are some people that I've, that I've talked to and also um, critics too that say it's style over substance. I totally acknowledge that, but also it's one of those films that I think acknowledges some sort of um, pretentiousness, which we talk about in a past episode on Bijou Banter. Check that out if you would like to. And French Dispatch is my number six. All right, we're halfway there. We're at number five, halfway through this top 10 list. What do you got, Chris? All right. Uh, my number five is a film called Limbo. It technically premiered at TIFF in 2020, but it wasn't wide released until I think April of 2021. So I, I'm, I'm making the call that it's 2021. And it's a story about a Syrian refugee and he's stuck in limbo. He's in a house waiting to see if he is going to be admitted into Ireland. And it's, it's like a very somber but funny movie about people trying to assimilate into, an, into a new culture. And some of the humor almost felt like Napoleon Dynamite-esque in a good way. I don't know how people feel about that, but it felt like a movie that like, it's what I would want to come out of Sundance, underrated and just sort of very quiet with little bursts of humor. And it was my first movie back in theaters. So I think that partially is why I really connected with it. And it was streaming on HBO Max, if anyone wants to check it out. I definitely think it's worth checking out if you'd want to. Interesting. Another film I never heard of until today. Uh, Gigi. All right. So my number five is The Green Knight. Um, yeah, it's just really cool. Um, I think it did a really good job of capturing like the weird vibe of reading like a medieval poem. Like it really just has this atmosphere about it that I think is kind of hard to capture. And I think they interpreted everything really well. I like how, I don't know, I feel like they played with scale in interesting ways. Like some moments felt really like epic and large and others felt very like smaller and more intimate and I was really surprised with myself actually because I remember when I first saw it I was like oh that was something but as I've sat on it more in the intervening months my opinion of it has remained really high and only gotten higher even. Awesome. Dana. Sorry uh, we're at what again? Five, uh, right? We're at number five. Uh, I'm going to go with French Dispatch. Uh, like just everything as you guys said, it's a great kind of like uh, Wes Anderson piece. I'm kind of relatively new to the Wes Anderson palette. So maybe that's my bias why it's number five. Um, great production design. Oh my gosh. Uh, awe inspiring. Uh, I, I liked how the screenplay was like written, was found a way to write itself. Like it is literally a journal, like a new journal, like the way the dialogue is the way the story is structured, it's written down journal. I've really appreciated that. Um, just great performances and 
and yeah, like everything you guys said, yeah, it's a great film. Nice. Orson. Uh, for me, a movie I was really looking forward to, and I have issues with it, but that's uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. I think it's just such a fun time at the movies, kind of what you were saying, Matthew. It's just this great grand spectacle to be like, you know, the first big, big blockbuster, you know, in the first two years. So it was kind of nice, you know, after all the darkness everyone's kind of been in to get back to the theater and just have like one of these kind of big Marvel spectacles played on screen. Again, I, I said this on our episode a couple of weeks ago. I think it is a little bit like fan servicey, like fan fiction, because I don't know, there are just some aspects when, if you've listened to interviews and what, you know, the cast has said the original idea was going to be before they came up with the multiverse stuff, it really makes me think Sony had a lot of say because there's obviously that falling out between them and Marvel, but they came back together and, you know, they came off the success of Ends of the Spider-Verse like a year prior. It really makes me think they had a lot of say in this multiverse stuff. But other than that, it's just great and it's super fun. And I would, I mean, I can't imagine everybody in the world hasn't seen it at this point, but yeah, I really liked it. Nice. Daniel. My number five is uh julia de crow's uh Titan. i really enjoyed this movie i was just pleasantly surprised by it. i think in the best way and the worst way which i think honestly i think is a good thing i mean because there's a lot of scenes in this movie that are incredibly tense but there's a lot of scenes in this movie that are incredibly moving i mean it was it's a really great cast i really enjoyed the cinematography and how the film was conceived i mean obviously it's a really obscure idea and kind of like pig it's one of the movies where it's like the less you say about it the better and it was a really um good time in the movie theater and i recommend anybody see this if they like to and have the stomach for it yeah my number five is a documentary called the sparks brothers this is edgar wright's first documentary about the avant-garde avant-garde pop band of the same name it explores their career their successes their low points and also their influential um, nature while also being incredibly overlooked and underrated and underappreciated it is an incredible story i had no idea who sparks were until i saw this film or this documentary and it explores their career in a way that is very engaging but it also doesn't give away all the answers there's a lot of mystique around sparks even when you listen to their songs or we hear them in interviews, but the documentary doesn't give away everything, which is really nice. And the presentation is fantastic. They do a lot of interesting um, visual cues uh, from the talking head interviews to the archival footage. They even use some animation too. Uh, it has that Edgar Wright style and look and feel, which is impressive considering this is a documentary. And I would love to see Edgar Wright make more documentaries. I think he has, he's very talented as a filmmaker, but as a documentarian, he can do even more. And I'm, I'm very, I highly recommend checking out the Sparks Brothers if you would like to. As of now, it is streaming on Netflix. So check it out, please, if you would like to. All right. Number four, Chris. All right. Uh, my number four is Licorice Pizza. Uh, I think when I first saw the image of Bradley Cooper dressed as John Peters, I knew this would be a top five movie for me, you know, um, and it's I, I kind of I think there's like a little bit of steam for Bradley Cooper uh, in the Oscars now for this performance, which I hope he wins for it, because I just think nobody dominates the screen better than him than in this year than the, like the 10 minutes he's in this film. But it's it's just fantastic to see Paul Thomas Anderson kind of returning to like a little bit of that Boogie Nights vibe. It's my favorite movie of his. And it's nice to see 
Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman, two people who we've never seen in movies before. I kind of like seeing unknowns. That way we don't bring that baggage. And I think everyone should see this movie if they, if they would like to. It's a fantastic, fantastic time. I think it, it was maybe still playing at film scene, but I don't know. I think it might be have left by now, but it, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Most, most definitely. Yeah, I agree. It's a great one. Uh, Gigi. All right. So pivoting over to an MCU film that I feel like has kind of been overlooked now that No Way Home has dropped. Um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is my number four. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised by it. Um, I think in the first two acts, at least, the fight sequences are some of the most unique in the MCU in years. I just really loved seeing like the fight choreography and the cinematography. Like it really made it feel fresh. Like I've kind of been having Marvel fatigue lately, like post Endgame, but I think that this really like felt like something new and different again. And this is like a small thing that probably doesn't even matter at all, but this movie made me not hate Aquafina. I really don't like Aquafina at all. And I was like really worried <laughs> when I saw she was in this, but I think they kind of, I don't know, reined her in a bit and made her like less like herself to the point that I could like forget that she was in the scene. And I think that improved my enjoyment of it a lot. So there you go. I'm a bit in the opposite boat. I didn't like Aquafina after watching it. I'm not even a big Aquafina fan. I hated her even more because I was like, I mean, she's great in The Farewell, which I watched that recently and I thought she was pretty good in. The Farewell is great. Yeah, Shang-Chi, I was just like, I don't need Aquafina. Yeah, Shang-Chi was our first uh, episode of this year. So we paired that with Candyman, the remake. Uh, check that out if you would like to. Another shameless plug. I don't even know how many of those I've done today. But yeah, Dana. Okay, so I number four, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go tick, tick, boom, like everyone else. Uh, this was, uh, I went in kind of not expecting much i know i was gonna see it because it's like a big oscar movie and i was really impressed by it uh i especially since this is like lynn's first movie he's ever really directed and it's amazing because he knocked it out of the park um andrew garfield is amazing like everyone else says um i and i the editing was really great it kind of reminded me as in some ways of like as this film kind of reminded me as a modern day sort of uh all that jazz, though obviously not as good, but in, in sense of it being about a, a very stylized uh, musical about a you know a famous semi-famous uh, famous uh, Broadway star, and uh, it, and it also deals with like a subject matter I think a lot of artists struggle with, um, including myself, is that feeling of like this like inner clock of like okay I need to make this now because if I don't. I won't be famous and what will I contribute to life? And I think it really exhibited that anxiety really well. Nice. Uh, Orson. I'm going to break the rules a little bit. Uh, my number four was technically a miniseries on Netflix, but I, it's like a seven hour movie because it's like just one continuous story. And that is Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass. And again, I know I'm breaking the rules, but this just struck me in a different way. It's Mike Flanagan's a very unique filmmaker. I think... Some of his films are not too great, but then some are actually really good. Oculus is really good. But I think this is probably his best work yet. It's like 
very this is seven hours of like a Stephen King-esque story where like you know you're really getting to know the characters but there's like this creepy mystery going on throughout this small like coastal town and I, I don't want to say any spoilers just because when you know certain things are revealed I was like oh my god that's crazy and no joke the last two episodes are maybe some of the greatest of all television history I, I highly recommend it if you'd like to it's on Netflix still haven't gone around to Haunting of Hill House that's either. really good too is that that's really good really too good? Then there's another one, right? Aren't there like three Mike Flanagan miniseries? Yeah, I didn't. The second one was Bly Manor. I really did not care for that one. Chris is shaking his head like, no. Yeah, Bly Manor is not worth watching. No, it was the, it it really seems like it could be something special, but it's just a really grim, depressing romance tale. And no joke, after I finished a couple episodes, I was like, I I need to watch The Office or something. That was (laughs) interesting. I'll, I'll watch Midnight Mass instead. Daniel. So my number four is obviously something that, you know, a lot of people are really hyped, was really hyped about this year and not even this year, but the past few years about it. And that is Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider-Man obviously is a character I grew up with. I enjoyed watching the Raimi films, the web films, even though those are very problematic. And obviously I love Spider-Verse. And now I think it's time to say that Tom Holland has really proven himself to be a really good Spider-Man. I was really glad that he took the next step with this character. I'm glad that there was a lot of bold decisions that were made. It was a very fun movie. I really liked um, the reintroduction of a lot of the characters from um, the past Spider-Man films. And it was just a really fun film. And although Grace might disagree with me, I still enjoyed this film. (laughs) bit of bit of an inside joke for people that might not know um my number four is also licorice pizza uh paul thomas anderson is a very talented filmmaker and seeing him return back to sort of that boogie nights vibe i was very very excited and as daniel said earlier i had the privilege of seeing this on 70 millimeter which was awesome it is a very it's a very interesting story that sort of meanders a lot. It goes all over the place, but it also has a really solid core. Uh, you really do learn to uh, connect with these characters. And there is controversy over the age gap, but I'd argue that if you go in with the right context and the right mindset, it is you learn that's really not entirely focused on romance. If anything, is more about self-discovery and also just sort of the feeling of coming of age and growing up and also attachment to your past and also looking forward to the future from different age perspectives that with characters that feel unbelievably authentic as well as its setting and its tone, everything about it. Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman in their film debuts are fantastic. Uh, They have they are incredibly talented actors from this film, but also I'm just very excited to see what they have in store for them in the future because there is a lot more from that I could see from them. The soundtrack is absolute fire with all these 70s hits and Paul Thomas Anderson, once again, knocks it out of the park with his direction. In my opinion, this is his best film since There Will Be Blood and I really, really liked it. You know, the more that we've talked about this, I'm wondering if I should maybe replace Suicide Squad with Licorice Pizza because like, again, like, the reason I didn't put it on first is because like at the age gap was a minor thing with me, but I guess when you did put it that way is like, okay, it's not about the romance, but more about the, um, you know, about coming of age and experiences like, cause I really did enjoy it a lot. And, you know, um, I might, might, might move that off later. So, but <laughs> you convinced me. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that, I guess. 
Uh, Suicide Squad is also a great movie. Didn't make my top 10, but excellent film. All right, we're in the top three. Now we're getting into the really good stuff. Chris. All right, uh, my number three uh, was Dune. Uh, I mean, Denis Villeneuve is just, you know, I think someone said the best working director right now, and I completely agree. I, I, I also really appreciated how humorless this was. I think the MCU and a lot of big budget movies kind of rely on just having like people quip at each other and, and it, rather than like, you know, just telling the story, they're just like, all right, we'll just have Chris Pratt come in and punch it up a little bit. I just appreciated that it was like a sci-fi movie for grownups. It didn't hold your hand. It was visually stunning. I knew going in that it was part one. So I wasn't as let down by the kind of just the petering out and kind of the abrupt stop of the movie, which is probably the worst part of it. But overall, like seeing it in the theater is it's exactly what I want to see. Just pure spectacle and Jason Momoa having the time of his life. That's all I want from the movies. Nice. Dune. Awesome. Dune part one, actually. Now we could say yeah. that because Dune part two is officially announced. Gigi. So I know I was just saying that No Way Home was overshadowing Shang-Chi too much, but No Way Home is my number three. So it is very good. Um, I feel like everyone's probably said what needs to be said about it, but I will say that it did what I thought was impossible. It not only made me care more about the MCU Spider-Man films, but it made me care more about The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I hated those when they came out. Even when I was younger and I was watching them, I was like, what? What is this? This is not for me. But now I kind of want to like rewatch them now. I feel like No Way Home made me see them in a different light. Awesome. Dana, number three. I'm going to go with Spencer. Uh, this is a gorgeously shot movie by, um, I forget what his name is, Pablo, Pablo Lorenian or whatever. Um, it's a gorgeous film. Uh, Christian Stewart's give the performance of a lifetime. And I think what many people, when, when people, many people, I'm not going to judge, obviously, but like what I think some people like, what may make them not like it as much as they go in expecting it to be sort of a biopic on, princess diana which it isn't it's i'd argue it's more of a psychological thriller exploring the theme of you know imprisonment and loneliness through the eye and using her princess diana as just a way to explore that theme and and if you're looking at that lens it's a brilliant uh gorgeous looking film and i'd highly recommend it if you'd like to nice orson what is your number oh, three? Oh boy uh if i mentioned earlier i love zombies and if there's one thing i love more <laughs> It's B zombie movies where you get like a cast of like B and C list actors and you just pick them off throughout. Like they're going on some sort of mission or something. And that pertains to like any monster movie. I think Godzilla or uh, Kong Skull Island was a great one too. But that's Army of the Dead. I had such a fun time watching this. I know it's not the greatest movie. We had a, a long talk about this and Matthew and I see so differently on it. I just think it is so fun and it is very long, but I think it goes by super fast. Zack Snyder, you know, he injects a lot of um, like Greek mythology and like world building lore into each and every one of his movies. And this has got like some weird connections to like, you know, aliens and like Greek gods and like, you know, cyborg zombies or something. And I just had such a fun time watching it. I think the first 15 minutes 
are so crazy and you know maybe that would have made a better movie than you know what we got some could argue but yeah I just had such a fun time watching this and I can't wait for the sequel whenever that comes out in a couple of years so I'd recommend checking it out if you'd like to it's not for yeah, yeah, we had a very, very lengthy discussion about that uh, back in May. I think it just hit me more because, again, I grew up in, like, a zombie-loving family. And, you know, it's just, True. again, kind of the movie I like. But I, I will admit, it's not for everyone. Yeah, uh, we had a good discussion about that. Check that out if you would like to. Daniel. My number three is the same as Dana's. That is Pablo Ruin Spencer. I really... Um, was very haunted by this film um i remember when the trailers came out for this and the buzz that was kind of going around on chris around kristen stewart's performance really had me intrigued and i would have to say um i was pretty hyped for it and it paid off i really enjoyed the way this film was shot it's like i enjoyed a lot of the set design and the costumes but I also really enjoyed the character study um, and it really took advantage of, you know, being somewhat historical fiction, kind of like Amadeus was historical fiction. And by giving us an in-depth look at an end of a very famous individual who um, is obviously one of Britain's biggest pop culture icons. And I would recommend anybody um, see this when they can, if they'd like to. Nice. My number three, I'm considering this a film and nobody is ever going to change my mind. And that is Bo Burnham Inside. I love Bo Burnham. I think he is a wonderfully hilarious comedian and his specials and also his directorial talents in the film Eighth Grade uh, bring to like not only incredibly funny dialogue and, and, and sort of like uh, comedic acts, but also explores really heavy, serious themes about either loneliness, isolation, anxiety, even depression too. And Inside is a complete encapsulation of living during the COVID-19 quarantine through song and performance. And what Burnham did on his own, mind you, in the middle of quarantine is truly remarkable. I honestly consider this to be the most important film of 2021 because it is a time capsule. I think this will go down in history as something that generations in the future will look back and be like, oh, this is what it must have felt like. Because Burnham not only explores the sort of like that lone, like the isolation, but also some some joys too, like stuff about chaotic internet culture and social media, FaceTiming with your mom, sexting too. It all done in a way that's just so funny, but also incredibly thought provoking. Like I literally cannot think of anything else like Bo Burnham inside is truly special and truly one of a kind. And I highly, highly implore you, if you have not seen this, please check it out on Netflix if you would like to. It is quite something and really, really special and very important too. Moving on to number two, Chris. All right, uh, my number two is Come On, Come On, the Mike Mills film. I don't think anyone writes voiceover better than Mike Mills. I, I love both beginners and 20th century women. And I think this film just fits perfectly with those as just like, you know, exploring human connection. And I think the movie takes a little bit to get into. At first, when I was watching, I was a little standoffish because you're kind of like, you can see them constructing a, a reason to get Joaquin Phoenix with his nephew. But once they kind of get in together and they start connecting and trying to learn from each other and understand each other, I think that's when the movie really shines. And uh, also Woody, was it Woody Norman? I think it's debatably the best child performance I've ever seen. I just think he's fantastic in this movie. 
Yeah, really excellent movie. Gigi. Um, my number two is Demon Slayer Mugen Train. Um, it's, it's really cool. What can I say? Um, I thought, first of all, um, anime films of like shows that are currently airing are usually kind of bad. It's usually just like some random like unrelated side story that's just shameless promo for the show. But this did something unique. They actually adapted part of the story that was like the next part of the story after season one and made people like actually have to like go and see this, which is why it did insanely well, both in Japan and abroad. And I really like it. Um, it's amazing what they can do with like a film budget, especially considering how gorgeous the Demon Slayer animation is already. I've seen it a few times. I think it's really fun. Yeah, Mugen Train. Probably one of the biggest box office surprises of the year as well. It was a massive juggernaut at the box office, which you don't ever see for and let alone anime film, let alone, you know, just foreign, you know, uh, it was a big hit. So, yeah, I remember, I remember when that came out, I was working at a movie theater at the time and I turned away. I don't even know how many high schoolers to that movie because it was rated R. So that I disappointed a lot of people with that movie, unfortunately, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's very good. I saw like one clip of it. Dana. Uh, just so. I'd first like to say that, okay, um, I'm counting, like, uh, everything released, like, that after the Oscars, so realistically, if we were not, if, after, if I didn't go by the Academy schedule, my number two would probably be uh, Juice the Black Messiah, and number one would be The Father, but I'm not counting those, so uh, my number two is a docufiction from Mexico that is on Netflix called A Cop Movie, which is a docufiction about uh, cops in Mexico that takes a very unique turn that plays with the documentary format in a way that I, I can't really say without spoiling, but it just makes you start to question the film and a lot of decisions of the film and makes you question like the earlier parts of the film in a way. And I don't want to, hopefully not spoiling too much, but it's a very unique film I've ever seen. It's a very great film and I think I highly recommend you watching, especially if you're in a documentary fiction, docu-fiction or just documentary filmmaking, or filmmaking in general. It's a very unique way to make a documentary. Interesting. I've I heard very little about it. All I know is that it came out in like some film festivals, but haven't heard much since. You've convinced me to check it out. Orson. Uh, I grew up in a DC family and I love the Marvel movies. I think they're great, but Gigi said this a while ago. Uh, there's just been so much Marvel fatigue and I don't think anything they've done as of late. I mean, Spider-Man No Way Home and Loki were pretty fun to watch, but nothing that I just think has been on the same level as what the first three phases of the Marvel movies were. So I haven't really been too crazy about a lot of those, but DC I think has been great this year and Zack Snyder's Justice League. I think Justice League is one of the worst movies ever made and you know, I, again, kind of what with Army of the Dead, 
uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League isn't going to be for everyone, but it's honestly this four-hour epic. And I think you have to look at it from that perspective of that, you know, a director came in and he gave his vision and, you know, it didn't always hit for everyone, but he was finally able to have it released and, you know, the way he wanted to after he went through this, you know, humongous tragedy with the, the death of his daughter. And I had such a great time watching it. it I ha- I've come to terms to accept that we will probably not be continuing with this, you know, era of DC characters and Flash is going to reboot it later this year. But yeah, I just think it was great. And I had a very fun time watching it. Another one of our decently long episodes of Bijou Banter, we paired it with Wonder Woman, which when we talked about Wonder Woman for like two minutes, I think. So yeah, check that out if you would like to. Uh, Daniel. Our former host, Calvin Wesley, ought to be listening because his favorite film of the year is number two, and that is Dune. Um, Denis Villeneuve is probably one of the greatest rec- directors working today. I mean, I adore Blade Runner 2049. I love Prisoners. And Dune is, to me, like a start is something really big, because obviously Dune is a very popular science fiction novel that came out of the 80s and was um, deemed to be tough to adapt in the film. It was adapted, but it wasn't that good, um, unfortunately. But this one um, really let, um, really lived up to my expectations. Everything was great. I really loved the size and the scope of it. The cinematography was really great. It's a great cast. And the visual effects are very inspiring. And I, we can probably have the next Lord of the Rings on our hands with Dune. So this was probably my second favorite of the year. Nice. My number two is a film called Drive My Car. It is a Japanese drama film, three hours long, which is about a theater director experiencing loneliness, but is sort of reconnected, rekindled the spirits through his driver who drives his Red Sap 300, I believe is what it's called. It's a re- really awesome 80s car. Um, it is it's it's long it's long and it's slow burn you have to be in the right mindset for it but once you do get into that mindset you are treated to something incredibly special this is a very down-to-earth very emotional and very human story about themes that we've explored before in various movies like regret loneliness and even sort of just feeling lost in general not just since you're by yourself but just in your headspace too And it does not shy away from showing that. But what's even more special is that never once do we flash back to the past in this movie. It's all just through the direction, the script, and the acting, which all three of those are some of the best I've seen this year. And it's a film that, like, as soon as it's over, you just, like, walk out of the theater and you're just like, wow. Like, this is what movies are. And they hit you emotionally. And it hit me in a way that I haven't experienced in a long, long time. It's pretty remarkable honestly considering the movie is as long as it is and never not one second feels wasted every single moment feels earned genuine and purposeful uh it is currently playing at film scene at the chauncey i highly recommend checking it out if you would like to and uh it is considered to be the front runner for um what is it best international film at this year's oscars and i support that i think they should win um yeah i i watched it i don't think i was in the right mindset but i like even as someone who wasn't really into it i was like i have to give this like nine nine out of ten stars because this is obviously one of the best of the year 
I am definitely going to rewatch it and hopefully next time it'll click with me because I can tell it if I in the right mindset, it'll probably click with me. I highly recommend doing so, Dana. <laughs> All right. Number one, the big one, what we consider to be our favorite films of the year. Take us away, Chris. All right. Uh, probably a controversial pick, but Matthew, you, you think it's a film? Uh, it played in theaters one day. Uh, I'm going with Bo Burnham's Inside. It came out about the time when vaccines were rolling out, which felt really timely. And it it's just perfectly takes down everything I despise in the culture. It's also incredibly catchy. It, it was my favorite album of the year also. And I just think I wish there was more Bo, Bo Burnham stuff in the world. Uh, he did a podcast a few years ago with uh, Pete Holmes. You made it weird. And it's like three hours long and it's just him taking down everything and it's amazing and worthwhile and yeah if you haven't seen inside it's fantastic I, you know the argument whether it's a film or not doesn't matter to me because i think it's the best thing i watched all year so i'm standing with it it's a film nice Gigi, what is your number one my number one is Encanto. um i really before Encanto, the other Disney animated releases this year kind of let me down a little. I didn't really care for Raya or Luca, but Encanto slapped. Um, I really haven't liked a Disney animated film this much in years, honestly. Um, it really like brought me back. Um, super fun really gorgeous animation really unique like the fact that this whole movie pretty much just takes place inside a house that's really cool i like that and whatever your opinions are of him um i do like to roast him online quite a bit but lin-manuel miranda can write good music and this is some of his best lately I don't really believe the people saying that we don't talk about Bruno is a bigger hit than Let It Go. I don't care that they have like stats to back it up. Um, Let It Go was like a whole nother thing. But the fact that something can conceivably compete with Let It Go now is pretty neat. So yeah, Encanto. Yeah, excellent Disney movie. It did make my list, but I very much enjoyed that as well. Dana, what's your favorite film of the year? Okay, of course, it's the classic auteur film, Cool Cat Fights Coronavirus. Come on, it's a classic. Okay, okay I'm joking, obviously. Um, I'm picking Mass. Um, it is a, it's one of those movies where it's just people talking for the entire movie, which I really enjoy. And they're talking about very, it, it, about, it, it's, a, just so you know, it's about uh, a family just talking into the family of a school shooter and some of the victims of school shooters just talking about their the experience of it in this room it is incredibly well acted one of the best screenplays of the year um and what i found most interesting is that despite it being like this like because it was so easy for them to just you know blandly shoot it and not add much visual flair because it's just in this one church room what they did is they found they used the camera to kind of show the tension and the framing to show the tension of the scenes in a way that kind of helped elevate like the emotions going on and i highly recommend that if you'd like to it was chris stuckman's favorite movie of the year too yeah okay. uh, i don't know if it and i can't say the same for cool cat fights coronavirus though um <laughs> 
Well, I was going to say not to cut anyone off, but the writer director is actually the guy who played the stoner in Cabin in the Woods. Yes, which he is, is. Very cool as a fan of Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, I, Mass is one that definitely went over my head. I've been hearing more of it now, actually, than I did last year. So that's another one on the watch list. Orson, what's your favorite film of 2021? My favorite movie of the year. I've no joke, maybe seen it 10 times already. I have so many posters of it around my uh, apartment. Uh, and I'm even, I think, wearing a shirt for it right now. That was just a weird coincidence. But um, The Suicide Squad. I loved this movie. I truly loved it. It's, I think it, you know... What DC does better than Marvel is I think they know that there are certain properties they own that lend themselves to being more adult oriented. And I think Marvel, while they have, you know, characters like Deadpool or Blade or Moon Knight, and I think they're starting to make that transition slowly. I don't, I, I think Deadpool will be rated R, but some properties they'll just never fully embrace the way it, that DC has. I think DC just, again, knows that they're like, no, we can, you know, cater towards adult audiences. And just James Gunn was the perfect person to make this film. His Peacemaker series out right now is just truly incredible. And this is, this was such a fun time at the movies. It sucks that, you know, because of the whole HBO Max situation and the day and date release, it didn't, you know, do so well at the box office. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it gains like a cult classic status within like the next two to three years i highly recommend this film if you know if you'd like to it's such a fun time just exceeded my expectations highly nice yeah suicide squad is fantastic excellent daniel what is your favorite movie of the year well my number one might surprise some people because i know this film when it initially came out um people were not thinking as highly of it as i thought of but highly of it, and that is David Rowdry's, um The Green Knight. Um, this was a film that I was pretty blown away by because I think how Blade Runner 2049 um, impacted the sci-fi genre for this generation, I think The Green Knight's gonna impacted the fantasy genre in a way. And it felt so Arthurian, I loved all the lore of it. Um, I really enjoyed the visual effects. Dev Patel gave a great performance. Um, and it was just a really uh, fascinating film that really stuck with me like for a week after I saw it because it, I really love these type of slow burn films. And, you know, it gives you questions that are not always going to be answered. And I think that's kind of the best type of film for me because I really love ambiguity in film a lot. That just kind of makes you think what you have just witnessed. And The Green Knight is truly my favorite film of 2021. Nice. All right. My favorite film of 2021. Anyone who knows me, this is not a surprise at all. It's Titan, directed by Julia de Cornell. Uh, any out of any film this year, this is 2021's masterpiece. Nothing comes close, honestly. Oh, drive my car, I guess. But that's besides the point. This film is insane. I have never felt the way I the disturbed state the amazed state that I was seeing this in theaters opening night is unlike anything I've ever experienced. It brings you down to the most disturbingly insane yet disturbingly creative scenarios and so not subverts it, but takes it in directions that you would never, ever predict. It's funny, disturbing, even touching in some ways. Like I, I can't describe it. And as much as I want to go into the plot details, this is a movie that's best experienced knowing nothing about in the same way that Parasite was too. And it's just, 
it is a complete study of gender identity, masculinity versus femininity, sexuality, parenthood, even just sort of cars too. Cars play a big role in this movie. It's just, it's the complete package. And I think movies like Titan um, not only get me more excited for Julie DeCornau's career as a filmmaker, but also just make me excited for cinema's future. I want to see more movies that take as bold chances as this did, taking directions where you would never get to experience in reality and also bring you into a state of uncomfortableness, but also in awe. And it does that perfectly. Perfect direction, audacious performances, some of the best cinematography, the perfect use of music. It's everything I want in a movie. It's my favorite film of 2021, and it's Titan. Yeah, it's really great. And it's also one of those movies that you can just, anyone can have their own interpretation of it, which is something you don't often get with a movie like that, you know? Exactly. And also, one more thing. It's not for the fan of heart. Um, Be prepared for something very dark and very disturbing. But if you go in with that right mindset, you're treated to something special. Check it out if you would like to. All right. So that wraps up. Bijou Banter's top 10 films of 2021. I We've been going for about a little over an hour. So we've, we made pretty good time so far. Uh, tune in next time where we will hopefully be in the KUI studio talking about I don't know what, but I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. Until next time, I've been Matthew. I've been Orson. I've been Daniel. Chris? You want to hey, go what's too? up, Chris? I, we could go our guests as well. Yeah, Chris. Gigi. Um, Dana. And we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye.